0: Welcome to the Femtech Focus Podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and today we interview Rachel Bond, CEO and founder of Jubal Health. Jubal Health is a digital fertility coach. Jubal's DNA is a proprietary conversational AI platform. It provides 24-7 access to personalized, unbiased, medically vetted information while keeping women connected to supportive resources like a dedicated fertility coach, community of peers, and a panel panel of professional experts, rather than waiting for a callback from your doctor, which I hate. I hate waiting (laughs) for that, or asking Dr. Google, which I do often, but shouldn't trust, or texting a friend and hoping she's awake or knows what you're working on, you know, what you're struggling with. Instead of all of that, Jubal provides women with personalized information and advice they need in real time. Enjoy the episode. All right. Hey, Rachel, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Brittany. Thanks for having me.
0: Yes, definitely. Hi. We uh, we got connected a while ago, didn't we? You were in Austin for a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, back in New York now. In the city, right? The city. How, <laughs> the city. If you're from the tri-state, you call <laughs> it the city. It's coming,
1: it's coming back to life, totally <laughs> but surely. And um, uh, if anyone follows me on social media, I'm like pro-New Yorker nowhere lately kind of obnoxious
0: <laughs> wow yeah well you know um what is femtech like in new york city actually i i haven't asked you that is it like everyone's down with the vulva or is there still like lots of barriers with the
1: vulva um yeah i oh, have another story for another day um i would say like before covid there were there were lots of different groups and initiatives and they're they're still here but it's just hard to feel the presence because mm-hmm. we're not going to In-person events, but I spend a lot of time in California and in New York, and I think that I probably, again, I might be biased or skewed because I spend more time in New York. But I would say that there's a heavy presence of femtech in in New York. Awesome. Um, And lots of players we don't even know about that are popping up. And people I talk about, people I talk to, and founders I talk to, even abroad, or were and are trying to make their way to New York when COVID subsides.
0: Yeah, we've interviewed several FemTech founders from New York City, but they uh, this interview this interview style, this podcast was born in the pandemic, so most of them were not still in the city. But anyways, good to know that New York City is uh, is you know coming around to talking about this stuff because there's definitely certain countries and states that it, it's not as prevalent and there's still so much work to do. So I'm glad New York City is a little bit more open yeah absolutely and there's there's
1: lots of things that we look forward to doing and bringing the community together when things once we can hang out in person again i
0: know i'm, I'm an
1: extrovert here so i'm dying for it
0: <laughs> me too me too <laughs> i'm essentially uh smothering my dogs because i need hugs um uh, but rachel we'll bring you up we'll bring you up here yeah it is definitely well, Rachel, uh, you know, our listeners love to know a little bit more about the personal background of our guests, because most of us didn't grow up saying, I want to go into women's health and wellness. Somehow we ended up here. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about where you're from? What did you study? You know, and then how did you end up here?
1: Yeah, so, um, the part that, okay, study, wow, that word, seems like a while ago, so, um, <laughs> When yeah you, have, you know, when you have an intro like right when you're out of college it's like that's where you start. Um, <laughs> so I was actually finance accounting background. Ironically, I started college probably like many people do. Like I'm going to go pre med. Like I thought I was going to be pre med, which means like I took biology and chemistry 101, and I was like, yeah, I don't know if that's for me. So I always had an interest in the field. Um, and it was just kind of along my path, meandering, thinking about what I wanted to do. And, and healthcare was always healthcare more broadly was always on my mind. Um, Probably at least one experience that touched me in was like freshman or sophomore year of college. My grandmother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and she was in her, I think, late 60s, early Mm. 70s. So it still seemed like semi-young. And Mm. I I was too young to really know the depths of anything scientific anyway, what was really going on. But it obviously impacted my mom, my family, you know, to the extent that, it, she didn't recognize me anymore um and I'm always the, the type of person at least I have been since I was a kid uh curious um sometimes just pushing back asking why too much <laughs> challenging mm-hmm. the status quo so I kind of got in my head like well what's really going on like they gave her all these medications I, it was like did she need all of those and I've, I was kind of suspicious as to like well what if right what if it would have been a medication that worked better like what mm-hmm. if the too many switching of the medications actually made it get worse. What if we could have just prevented this? Like, is my mom going to get it? Am I going to get it? Like, is there things I could do in my diet and eat? And so like, I kind of became a bit of a, um, I hate to say the word hypochondriac, but I'll admit it. (laughs) And so, I've recovered from it today. Um, so that that influenced then like what would I do with an accounting and finance background? With that being somewhat of a innovative passion in my mind, mm-hmm. and um, started my career like in the internal auditing field. I think worked at Freddie Mac for a summer, and I was like, I really wanted to have more variety. I wanted to be in New York. That was something that I I knew just because I love New York. Obviously, we covered that, and also because at least in New Jersey, <laughs> there's a, a heavy presence of the biopharma yeah. and life sciences space out here. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I could also travel around the world. So anyway, I was really keen on getting to New York um, to work for Deloitte, uh, where I started my career as a consultant and meandered quickly out of what was the first like audit project and I think like life insurance space. And I was like, I really want to be in biotech. Like, So within three months, I had Navigated my way around to find the people that did projects in that space, and then that set off, you know, six or seven years of my career at Deloitte, where I was working with life sciences and biotech companies. Um, specifically, I mean, it migrated from things like, you know, how do you reinvent your sales and marketing practices to physicians? Hmm. Some of the compliance compliance was like the segue, and then that morphed into helping companies think about how to engage patients. Um, with new technology and the use of data, there's some buzzwords in there. I'll use like the use of real world evidence and and changing up the clinical trial space with the use of biomarkers so both on the r and d side and on the commercial, it was just coming up with new solutions. I think this is like four or five years ago. I would sit in a room with the heads of biopharma and I would hear and it wasn't in women's health at all at this time, like I focused on different areas mm-hmm. it wasn't really there wasn't many companies that were like big in women's health, maybe birth control pills, but for the most part, you'd still hear the head chief medical officers say, you know, CEOs that a patient is a patient is a patient. And I was like, oh, I, I'm just in my soul would burn. Like I, well, why? Like people don't want to be sick in the first place and why aren't companies focused on prevention? And we know part of that is just, there's no money in prevention. Mm-hmm. Sometimes And I, I challenge that. So there were things like that that kept fueling my my energy from the, the part where I started, which was this question of like, could you use data about yourself and your day to day relative to other people like you? And like any machine learning AI problem, could you learn what to do differently against the backdrop of a certain genetic composition, right? Like what could I do to change um, my health trajectory? And I was I was laughing with some people at the time because it was like, well, I just want to know how much potassium I have. I I don't know just potassium. Potassium like always was my example. <laughs> I fixated on. But like I don't know why it was potassium. Like I don't know if potassium really impacts us that much, but for me potassium was the thing that's going to save my life. Okay. So, um, yeah, I I really was keen on how to use personalized health insights. How to sorry, how to deliver personalized health insights in the form of driving behavior change, driving mm. prevention, and um, I started Jubal in 2016, left my my corporate career, took a plunge. Uh, it really did feel like a plunge at the time, and I thought I had it all figured out when I left <laughs> to do this. And um, as you know, it's never. There was one guy that's an advisor to me. That was a former global CEO of one of the big pharma's, and he's like, "It always takes you twice as long and twice as much money." And oh yeah, I'd say that that's true. And for every pivot I've had, that's true. So we started Jubal um, to again, it wasn't a buzzword when we started, but empower people to own their health. Like you own it. We're in the age of information. So why can't, you know, people um, have access to to this, to know what to do, to guide the tools, to guide them towards better life. And with that first company, there was many markets, sorry, with the advent of Jubal, there was many markets that we were looking at. And we did start in the hardware space, I will share more on later. Um, And um, what was I going to say? We were looking at different markets from you know fitness to obesity and there was chronic conditions to keep phases, and there was women's health, which included fertility and pregnancy. And at that time I had a lot of pregnant friends. So it made sense
0: that there was a strong need, and mm-hmm. that's where we started. So where is Jubil Health today? Um, so
1: today the short version of it is we are a <laughs> I can back up and, and revisit the story of how we got there but we're currently a a family planning and fertility concierge service so think of us like your personal fertility coaching team that gives you information form of insight and support um, in the form of coaching so we're, we're filling people with what they don't know that they don't know until they need to know it and then they go to find it and we're that we're there for you. And we're trying to fill that space for anyone that's on that. I use the word fertility quest. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we're starting with that market to give people awareness and do this in a, I go back to that patient, the patient, the patient, like we're, we're targeting the person or the individual, the couple, mm. like no matter who you are um, and in trying to um, meet you where you are to give you what you need and, it's, it's, it's a touch of medically vetted information. So like take the minds of all of the physicians that you'd have on that journey, whether it's an OBGYN, a reproductive endocrinologist, a nutritionist, the et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, fitness. So there's all of these things that come together and we, we give you the information that's the best of their minds. That's tailored to you based on some data we collect and, and provide you with support and coaching and also connections to health and wellness resources along your journey of forming and building a family.
0: And so you said you you went into women's health because a lot of your friends were pregnant, but did you discover that once you started to look into fertility and family planning, there was other things that like fueled your fire because your friends just being pregnant, I doubt gave you enough motivation to continue this for four years, right? Um, so what yeah. were other things that potentially you, you know, you turned over a rock and you discovered and you just dove even further headfirst into Femtech? Was there experiences like that?
1: Are you kind of hitting on the timeline and why?
0: Well, I guess so. Yeah. You know, I just, um, uh, you know, the, cause for me, I thought Femtech was so exciting, right. And just on face value. But then as I dug, I would discover things about Femtech, like with how, you know, this, this med device was invented 50 years ago and no one's changed it. And so all of a sudden I'd go deeper and deeper and more and more passionate about it. So wondering for you, like at first it was like, your friends are pregnant, but like, as you got into it, what were other things that were motivating you to continue forward? Yeah. I mean
1: the pregnancy piece for me, I, you know, transparency, like I hadn't been pregnant um, to this date. I haven't been pregnant. I haven't pursued fertility treatment. Um, Come back to how that is relevant to me today ironically um but I think that at the beginning you know pregnancy what was back to my dorky potassium thing (laughs) uh, what was so interesting about the space first pregnancy too from a personal level was that like you're able to change up um child is in the womb but like you're able to change up some of the decisions there and then that could have an impact later on. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Like it's not enough. I felt like at times that, okay, well, if I'm not, I was pregnant, I experienced this hardship and this is why I'm here solving that purpose for the world. Um, that's not my story. That's not, you know, why I started it. And, and I have a lot of, like I'm on the outskirts of this big picture looking in at a problem that I'm compelled to solve because there's so many, it's not just pregnancy, but like the broader from preconception, fertility planning all the way through pregnancy and beyond. And the impact that has on a woman, on a child, on a family, Mm -hmm. the broader economy, et cetera. So um, I think my reason for starting as I said, it didn't have anything to do with women's health until that became like the center of focus as a good place to like really pack into giving insights to drive change um, and and providing that like empowering support and information. So while it started with, um, it it started with one reason, and I said it's morphed along the way and from hardware to pregnancy software to now for we still have a you know, this, it, it, there's a thread of commonality between it, but we've had lots of pivots, and so I think um, my personal affiliation. So when we went from pregnancy, we let me just like maybe back up and tell you yeah, a little bit more about those, those pieces I just mentioned. So on the on the hardware side, that was you know maternal sensing, fetal sensing, and like infant sensing, like wearable technology that was designed just for women. Um, I had realized at the time that like hardware given the biotech background and medical device world like that's just it's a long shot and it's hard and it's, it's really hard takes a lot of resources <laughs> just to get a prototype off the ground yeah. I was like, we're going to sense everything we're going to put it in this package it's going to be great and then you know first time founder trying to raise trying to raise like five million dollars with nothing to show for it just to build something I could show it was just it was just a hard sell and maybe yeah. maybe I gave up on that too quickly but but what I learned was like wait hold on why I started was I wanted to deliver the insight mm. and I didn't have the software to deliver the insights. So I kind of like, okay, we'll park pause on the hardware and then we'll go build this app out that delivers this insights in a really cool, engaging, consumer-oriented experience, but has the grounds of medical credibility um to, to be sticky, like mm-hmm. those two together. So then we're out there doing, you know, observational studies with with several physicians in Los Angeles in the maternal fetal medicine space. And it happened to be as they were using the app um that we had built, which is really cool um they the people that were most the people that most needed it and the highest demand was from those that were coming from an IVF journey mm. they were like wow I really wish that this would have been there for me sooner I would have despite having like concierge concierge care in Beverly Hills Los Angeles and texting their doctors 24-7 they still said that something else. It was just like, you want everything to go well. You yeah. want everything to go right. So they're like this kind of, it's a chatbot based like technology on the technology side. Mm-hmm. So part of the feature is that you can just text anything you want. And we give you an answer. That's for you that you like you texting your doctor that, yeah. that question. So there was, there was the need there. So then here I am, um, <laughs> at this point, in my journey and we had some changes in our technology team. Um, didn't really have enough, um, resources to push out a big this was going to be like a consumer app mm-hmm. for pregnancy and we were like we don't really have the resources to do that so we're still shopping around like fundraising and still trying to like get get users on but in, in, I followed the lead for fertility to just at that point thinking like okay we'll just add that on it'll be easy so then I go talking to these fertility doctors that I get connected to all on the west coast and I was doing my research um, like any good consultant would do. And I was like, tell me about the demographic of people that walk into your fertility clinic. Mm-hmm. And one of the physicians on the West coast, um, I, I just, I did not know enough about the space. It's really complex. There's just so many moving parts to it. And so I, I said, tell me about these people that come in. And she says, well, they're they're 30. Um, I was 30. They want to know if they, sh- they've just gone through a breakup and I had, <laughs> they want to know, and they want to know if they should freeze their eggs. My mouth was like, <laughs> what? She, like, oh. she, she goes oh is that you and I was like no 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 I'm like, okay sorry what were you saying about your cfo <laughs> I was like, but all of a sudden in my mind I'm like freezing eggs like I mean you'd heard that but I didn't really like think about it yeah. um so so there I'm in the space and it still was like a tenth degree of separation for me I was like egg freezing like what is that like mm-hmm. I didn't think I was gonna actually pursue that but it, it was still like in the back of my mind then of like I, you know what that meant and that day actually she sold me. I ended up like going through the whole fertility testing. You path. did, you did. <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the spirit of market research, right? <laughs> at yes. the time, someone someone on my team called me. And she's like, "What are you doing? You have this investor meeting." And, was, and she like hears the nurse in the background, like you know, calling my name. In she's like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "I gotta go. I just is really important." <laughs> so, I, I, anyway, I, I won't forget that day. But it was it was for me, um, you know, th- this space of there's those that struggle to conceive. I I don't hope to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that what I share is hopes and dreams for having a family someday. Um, thinking about the decisions that I make in my life and wanting a plan because I, you know, I'm a woman of childbearing age. Mm -hmm. I'm more than knee deep into this, the startup that I love and I want to succeed. And so, um, that there's, there's that for me now, which is now I share these hopes and dreams. I think so many people have plans and expectations and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And so, you know, that's why I say, like, I mean it when I say, whoever you are and wherever you are in the journey, like there, there's a way to reframe the thinking about it. There's support that people need to go through that journey. And, and so my bringing it all the way like full circle is that I didn't start for this, but I now have, more of a purposeful conviction behind it, mm-hmm. because, you know, whether it's egg freezing or preservation, it's just feeling like you have the, the empowerment, meaning like you have information, you have a plan, and plans don't always work out, but you got, you've got you got support in that journey, so and I don't know if that answers your question or not. <laughs> I am totally, and
0: I love the story, because, you know, I'm a 29-year-old single woman, and um you know as i've gotten into femtech and i'm listening to panels about egg freezing and they're describing the ideal woman who's usually going in and doing this i'm like damn that's me <laughs> you know oh, yeah.
1: no i was at a fertility clinic i'm so excited because i hadn't been like able to i love to be on the ground like going into the clinics and just like meeting with the physicians and so i was talking to one of them and like the nurse came up and she says oh hold on i need to give some notes and she says well 36 just broke up with boyfriend wants to freeze her eggs and i was like there we go again. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I was like, is this a thing? Like, I mean, yeah. that's, that's the three bullet points of notes. So I was like, so, you know, everyone's out there. If you're, I guess if you've gone through a breakup, Instagram and Facebook, know, and you'll be seeing. They know
0: it. Ads. Yes. <laughs> they know it. They know it. I, I've been definitely getting those advertisements and, you know, I think the first time I really started to consider my like fertility clock was when I turned 27, I think was the birthday. And it was the first birthday that I just kind of sat back and was like, huh, okay, like I'm single, like what am I doing? And I I didn't get anxious about it, but it was the first time that that thought started to grow. And I I wonder over the decades, like how later that number is. Like I wonder if people, women started to have that thought at like 21, you know, and now it's a 27-year-old thought. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think that's also due to the hype that's – you created in the media. To, I mean, and, and part of it, part of it's necessary because age is the biggest predictor of success, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, part of our thing is, well, 7 million women in the US struggle to conceive and 20% of those could benefit from assisted reproductive, I'm going to say treatment. Mm-hmm. I may be like misspeaking on that. It's treatment versus um, technology. But there's one to 3% that pursue it. And that could be testing, you know, to, to in the form of preconception. I'm not saying it always has to be IVF, but there's a but there's a gap because like 17 to 19 percent of people like could benefit benefit from it, and then you think stack that up against the fact that age is the biggest predictor of success. So it would make sense that 50 percent of the problem one is access, mm-hmm. and the other is earlier awareness. And so again, it's not like freezing your eggs, for example, is. Um, some people would call it insurance policy. I don't think of it that way. I mm-hmm. think of it as like it's just a little bit. Of an added level of sorry, it's an added level of comfort to you. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, and I say that because it doesn't mean you're going to draw love into your life any faster. If that's the thing you're looking <laughs> to. It, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't mean you're going to find that partner any faster. So like, you're still like muddling along, going through your life. Um, and, and even if you freeze your eggs, like it still may not happen. Like yeah. it's so. Anyway, I think part of it is that this, this this imperative of building awareness out to your point, makes the, the 27, the 21-year-old, like, what? Like, freezing? Like, this is a thing. And I, and I think it's a cool thing. I think it's about empowering. It's not just it's this whole field of fertility. We're not just thinking of women. But it, but yeah, for women, like, it is some form of one more thing to empower you and to like get in front of it and think about it. And it draws up a lot of questions. Um, mm-hmm. as you, as you look at your life and like your plan and what you're doing and I, mean, I could go off on this. We talked about this before. So.
0: <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know there's, and there's so much to talk about in terms of like societal pressure and is that still a thing anymore? Like, can you, you know, just say, screw it. You know, you don't have to have kids. You don't have to, um, right. But. So, yeah, I mean, there was, there was, um, I forgot what I was watching the other
1: day. One of the founders of a dating app, she said – other people say this, but I just heard it on, like, a YouTube video. And she says, well, if I would have focused on family sooner, like, maybe it would have happened. If I had known to focus on family instead of my career. Hmm. like." Well, and so I stepped back, and I was like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Like, Okay. I'm going to drop what I'm doing and go focus. It's like a project, I got a project plan.
0: <laughs> I take your agenda go, out, your yeah, Google like, calendar. You're okay, like gonna
1: check the box and it's <laughs> done. It's like, I, and I, and I, I get, I get the sentiment, right? That if you, if you're, it's to some extent you have to make time. Yeah. I'm sure you like me, we work a lot mm-hmm. and, and I enjoy working. So yeah, you make time to focus on family or meeting someone wherever you are on that journey. But um, again, it's still a bit of luck, right? Like it's still mm. a bit of, it's not like if you drop your career that all these things are just going to fall in yeah,
0: place. That's right. If you would have
1: if you would have done that in hindsight it would have made the difference. Mm-hmm. So yes, societal pressures, that's a whole other podcast in itself. Right? We
0: could talk about it all. <laughs> Let's talk about one other part of that you talked about is accessibility, right? So how much do you know like how much on average egg freezing costs?
1: Um I think I don't know like all of the, off the top of my head like all the storage related costs to it, but you're looking between like eight thousand and twelve thousand.
0: Yes. And it it, de- it depends. I mean it could be like fifteen even. So I know it's like a broad range. And um, there's like, um and I'm asking you, I I you're closer to this field than I am, so feel free to say that you don't know the answer, but like there's no like coverage for that, right? It's like out of pocket.
1: Um, for the most part, yeah. There may be um some or egg freezing for that reason, yeah. I mean, some employers mm-hmm. may have oh you know, yeah. some benefits that are unique to that, yeah. yeah. Um, but from an insurance standpoint, I mean, the whole the whole um, access issue in terms of you know the inequities that exist across the board. I mean, for IVF especially, and and thinking about there's just splotchy insurance some states cover this some states cover that where do you draw the line what is infertility a disease like should it be covered and mm. and i think and i think it's it's like one thing to say well there's a go back to the example of a woman who waited later in life to have children but she focused on her career like well should that be covered right like is that like a medicaid thing oh, should okay. or or what about if you have pcls or endometriosis like where do you start drawing the lines of people that walk into a clinic because they want a boy instead of a girl like mm. i think that there's well, a lot yeah. of oh yeah, I, yeah so but then, and then the egg freezing thing too I mean so I think it's it's a whole controversial topic and mm-hmm. um you know I think people should I think there needs to be an increase in access I think that there shouldn't be so many inequities for people that do want to have a family and um you know sometimes people don't they don't want to be in a situation they didn't plan for it and that, that there should be options there
0: Yeah, it's insane to me to think about, like, people who want to have a family and the idea of um, IVF being so expensive, freezing being so expensive, adoption being so expensive. It's like, if these people are loving, if they're solid people, (laughs) there's plenty of babies that could use their love likely, right? I know, and that's a whole
1: other, you know, that's a whole other thing, too, um,
0: well, I know yeah. that you are launching a like a newer version. And by the way, listeners, if you are you know saying, wait, she started this in 2016, and Brittany's talking about launching. If you ever started a startup, you know what's up. There are pivots, there are changes. You get data, you learn, you change. And so, if you are an aspiring entrepreneur, get ready to have a product launch that looks nothing like your original idea. So just to put all that out there. <laughs> so Rachel, you you are, you know, launching some new version. Can you tell us a little bit about it and, you know, I know that COVID-19 has affected that a little bit the the timeline and stuff. So can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, it feels like we've launched a few times before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but like before COVID, we, you know, we were we were so far successful in clinics, the fertility clinics were interested interested in licensing Jubal's technology as a, as an extended concierge service. You know, we, we catch people we're like, you know, you're walking out of the doctor's office. You're overwhelmed with information. Mm -hmm. It's like, Hey, doctor's still here for you to text you 24 seven, but like try asking Jubal and that's, that's the technology piece of it. And, And I think during, so what we learned anyway was that we were the spirit of this is to build trust with people and to do that. Um, People, you know, when you're paying for a product, it's about you and mm-hmm. that you benefit. So whether it's from marketing or just for like the actual business model for us, um, I believe that the patient, you know, paying signal stuff, like we are all about you. And so all paths led to direct to consumer anyway, pre COVID. And we were already like shifting that direction. We still have an offering that we offer to, to clinics. Like if you're in a fertility clinic and you're going through that we have we have a tool that will guide you through. But on the consumer front, the idea was that, you know, whether you go into your um, OBGYN and maybe you're having depending on the level of depth there, a conversation around preconception counseling, like, how do I get pregnant? I wanna get off my birth control. Like those mm. kinds of conversations everybody OBGYN can say. Oh, great! Like I'm here for you. I I love to have this conversation. But they're in primary care; they don't have that much time. No. So, like, here's Jubal and this this team of people like help oh, you kind cool. of get that conversation started. And there's there's Google, right? You may turn to Google oh, yeah. and say, yeah, like, how do I get pregnant, or should I get off a of birth control, or how do I know if I'm ovulating? And then so, all your you know, Facebook you
0: know? ads change too. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. It's not like you can hear about Jubal from that that sense. And, and then, you know, we have a, a lot of people that go through these experiences and they just love to share their journey. Like it's all over social media. So heavy component there. And so point is like, that's how you hear about us, um, you know, from the, from the OBGYN channels, maybe your REI, if you are going, but if you're not, your traditional ways that you hear about everything else these days in the consumer world. So the other thing that shifted is, so, so during COVID, you know, we immediately, because we have paused some of our pregnancy efforts, um, just to focus The fertility was a whole can of worms <laughs> in terms yeah. of building that out. So many different people to build something so personalized, you have so many different people in different walks of their journey and different circumstances. And so to really cater to that need, it was, was challenging for mm-hmm. us. And so pregnancy is, is coming right back in. So we'll cover like the full, full gamut. Um, but the on the fertility side it's more than just an app and and we had this great team of reproductive endocrinologists we've got like five and there's some of like I have people like that's like how'd you get these guys like sign up for this like they're a really great team like if I was gonna and we picked them based off of um their commitment to like this patient first patient Mm -hmm. education mindset and they're innovative as well and so that always helps and so we've got five of those. We've got nutrition and fitness and OBGYNs, maternal fetal medicine specialists. So we have these people on board and they helped build this app, but then COVID hit and we're like, Hey, we're not ready to launch, but like, we're like, what can we do? Like we had all these pregnancy questions coming into us. Yeah. So we just started doing a series of webinars, just taking our, you know, taking an OBGYN and an REI. And like, let's talk like there's gaps between the mindsets of the two. So like, let's just hack that. Let's put it out there. We did a bunch of webinars. So we started our direct to consumer launching efforts. Um, so, so now what's launching is, you know, the questions around how to get pregnant, what fertility treatment entails, or where do you start? What do I need to know? Or maybe you're struggling, maybe you're looking for donor or surrogacy help, like again, PCOS, endometriosis, there's all these different paths. So what, no matter where you'd hear about us, you can download our app, which we'll be releasing soon in the next month. And and we'll share more information about that through you, Mm -hmm. Brittany, if you'd like. Um, but you can sign up, we, we collect details about where you are in your journey, um, And that's used to give you immediately like tailored resources. We connect you as well to our fertility coach. We have several coaches that are, some of them actually gone through journeys themselves in fertility treatment. Um, And they've 30 plus years of nurse, nurse Hmm. experience, nurse practitioner experience in this space and, and know the landscape of the industry. It's really complex. And so they'll, they'll assess where you are and immediately try to figure out how they can, how we can help you and point you to resources, of course, but, like, really, what's that next best step for you? Is it to go to an ob Is it to freeze mm-hmm. Is it an REI? Um, do you want to talk to a genetic counselor? Are you interested in, in understanding, like, the, the legal applications of surrogacy? Is it genetic counseling advice? So there's this wow. whole ecosystem, and, yeah. and our goal is to bring that under one roof for you and um there's other things that are really cool like perks and discounts that that come through to help somewhat yeah hopefully with the access piece of this but we're not we're not targeting that directly so and there's things like fertility yoga like we we pull in people that are like each other so let's say mm-hmm. there's like five of you that are going through pcos like you can all join together and go talk to the nutritionist together in our interactive Whoa. classes you can do a yoga class together so it's, it's kind of like in a sense, um, I was joking about like it's like Peloton or like going to school. Like you're, it's
0: a, it's a series
1: of of support and infrastructure and resources and courses and one-on-one one coaching with all of our professionals as well that you get.
0: Man, I absolutely love the webinar piece and the community piece because we see this a lot in femtech that the most successful femtech companies also do a lot of education and community building for their users. If you are just mm-hmm. selling a product to women you're likely not going to catch on unless you also do some kind of education, community forums, you know, um, very authentic. Usually the founders are are honest. You know, here you are in an interview, international podcast, talking about freezing your eggs. So obviously you're right in the lane with <laughs> being an authentic founder, leader, right? Um, so I'm really excited for you because the data is uh, based on my you know, observation of other femtech companies, you're on track for for what makes it successful. Um yeah. Can I ask you, and you may not know, you're, you are not the expert, you are the founder, the visionary, right? You bring in other experts, but can we talk about surrogacy for a second here? Like how popular is surrogacy? And for our listeners, can you quickly define what surrogacy is? Um. So
1: define it um I would define it as you know some uh, a woman holding you know going through holding sorry conceiving a pregnancy on behalf of another couple Yep. no matter who that couple is um and I think it uh for New York anyway it's exciting because now paid surrogacy is legal and I was having a conversation yesterday with it's like anyone in fertility like finds their way somehow through my network and <laughs> yeah. having a conversation with them but but she had, you know, there's there's law firms just built out just to help with the contractual, you know, phases of obtaining a surrogate and all the things that a surrogate's supposed to do and go Whoa. through and, you know, the, thing, the changes you're going through in your body. Like, so, like, what you eat and, you know, are you going to get vaccinated for COVID, for the mm. flu? Like, if you're carrying someone else's child, like, all those things come come to bear. And are you using, um, you know, the use of donor plus surrogacy is the whole thing. So it's, it's um, for us, like, I think that, journey alone it involves a next level of handholding next that we to really for like sure. tailor to so so for example like if you came in through our coach you know if she would understand that need within 15 minutes mm-hmm. and then we connect you to um some a couple of things we connect you to a surrogacy um coach that like is an expert in that space again i haven't gone through it so like yep. it's not yep. necessarily like me but like that's that involves like some unique handholding mm-hmm. and i think it is becoming more and more popular, um, especially like with the LGBT community. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, there's not many states that I, I believe are, um, you know, that paid surrogacy is allowed. I think we'll see changes in that
0: coming forward, going forward. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. We, we should post some articles about that. I didn't realize it was a state by state thing that you could or could not do it. So that's yeah. interesting. Interesting. Well, thanks for diving into that for a second. I know it was not on our <laughs> questions, but I was like, actually, nice I have questions. I having
1: detailed conversations <laughs> about it yesterday.
0: So. <laughs> well, Rachel, this has been really awesome. I want to ask you two last questions that our yeah. listeners really love. The first one is um, we have a lot of aspiring Femtech founders listening to this podcast, and uh, they want to know what are areas in women's health and wellness that still need innovating? So what do you think still needs working on? So much. Um, so much and so much that, like, you also have to, I think about it with, like, was
1: there a real business there? Um, I'm, I'm biased because I spend now, like, all of my world in either fertility or pregnancy. So I see two areas. And, mm-hmm. and there are two that we're, like, they're, they're behind our mission, right? It's just, it's really, like, how... You can execute it, mm-hmm. and so I said access. I mean, there's we need endless numbers of people like going after the access So there's so, there's there's bloating in the cost for fertility treatments, and um, the risk of anyone being annoyed for me saying this, like it it exists because of you know the spike in prices for medications, mm-hmm. or generics alternatives, um, or some of the hormonal therapies, and then on the services side too, there's there's. Some heavy profit margins built in there, and so it's just like, could you could you squeeze some of that out? Is there unique ways? And I think, as with any industry in healthcare, you see them transform over time, and you start to see things normalize, Like, and normalized meaning like the standard of care is there. Like for pregnancy, like the, the standard of care is established. Where it's less established in fertility. So yeah. I'm I'm hoping that changes. But you know, you have you have insurance benefits now, like the projects of the world that sell to um, you know employers. So there's, there's some strides being there. I mean, they were, they, they, they IPO. So like you do see progress and investment going into it, but I think we need more. Mm-hmm. Um, it is something that's front of mind for us. And again, so I'm biased So this is like my, my window. And I think the second piece that's different, but related, at least, especially you know on the pregnancy front of what we're doing, that the U S is the worst maternal mortality rate in the developed world. Now I believe that's also a function of the fact that the U S healthcare system is,
0: Um, in need of repair yes yes that's a nice way of saying it yep (laughs) yeah in need
1: of repair um you know it's the 21st century though like i just why is that happening yeah and and you know there's not um people haven't pregnant women aren't included in clinical trials um Mm -hmm. i think women haven't really been included in clinical trials
0: nope not till recently recently. Yeah. yeah
1: so I don't know, you look you look at that and you're like there must be solutions that can that can cut. And a lot I know a lot of entrepreneurs that are looking at that maternal mortality mm-hmm. factor and, and for us it's like if we could change up um the epigenetics of mom I think it's I told you as when we talked genetic background. Yeah. Mom and dad, you know, just for that example, before they have a child, could you change could you reduce preterm labor? Could you could you offset preeclampsia or gestational diabetes in some way and then therefore preterm labor and then therefore maternal mortality like there's there's other ways and baby steps to go at it and i think that once you get in you're like well i'm gonna reduce maternal mortality but like there's so much that has to happen yeah it's like to demonstrate that data right
0: right? (laughs) like when someone says they're gonna cure cancer it's like okay actually every type of cancer is a different disease yeah (laughs) there's a lot of different
1: (laughs) what causes it do we even know the causes of these things no because we don't have the data
0: yes That's another common thread in femtech is that like, we know this is an issue, but we have no data. No one's actually looked, you know, and we need money to research it. And yeah.
1: And that's why we should know what our baseline potassium is all the time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm like, I'm not sure if you're serious or not. (laughs) I'm serious. <laughs> Hilarious. Anyway, well, um, our last question is what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful i mean it's fairly
1: obvious investment dollars yeah it starts with investment dollars um no but really um there's there's real problems here i when i was starting out i didn't know how to raise money that was a whole exercise in itself mm-hmm. just learning are like, what's your valuation? I'm like, what's the valuation? I <laughs> um, was like, the first month, it's fine. Um, but I would go to meetings, with, which I'll admit, like, there was it, it's more male dominated investment mm-hmm. community, right? And, and these guys would be like, scratching their heads, like, I don't understand what problem you're solving. People have been having babies for years.
0: <sighs> what? Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so. so yeah, there's some real problems. And I think it's it's amazing to see, like, you know, I just use portfolio as an example, right? There, mm-hmm. But there's funds that are just focused on investing in females or women's health. And like, we need, we need more of those. Like, I think just there, there's, at least in my LinkedIn, there's a bunch of buzz
0: around it, buzz, but I don't think yeah. it's enough. That's right. And I
1: don't, and the other thing to distinguish is, you know, you have funds that their, their thesis is, well, we focus on female founders. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Because a lot of female founders happen to be thinking about solutions that benefit themselves, yep. whether it's in women's health or sexual health or reproductive health. So, but investing in women that happen or females in that happen to be more so coming up with solutions in femtech is not just about benefiting women. It's that um, these women, per se, they're making better families and the economy that like, it's a full circle into like the whole world. And, um, I was, I I was also inspired because one of my, my best friend's sister, she's a mom of two boys and I forgot the exact, like, it's like one of those Instagram memes, but Mm -hmm. it said like mom saying like, this is hard. And then people or someone else says, Oh, but you're doing so great. You've got this. And she's like, no, like, and then it's like a cutoff of whatever she says, which is, no, but I'm drowning, like, help me, and then, and then, like, people say, no, you got this, I'm just so impressed with you, what you're doing, and so, she's still, like, no, you're not hearing me, like, we, we need help, but especially things during COVID, right, yes. like, all of the, the moms that are at home, like, trying to work and do careers, like, mm-hmm. we're doing, and I have children that are, like, popping up and Zoom in the background, which is really cute, Um, mm-hmm. but it's just, a, it's a, it's a lot today, and I think there's so many overlooked areas, there's so many, there's, there's, vast amounts of opportunity in, in the space of like women's health, reproductive health. but just things that haven't just been looked at before. And so I think investment dollars do make a difference. If you can't get investment as a female founder, because most of the community you're, you know, let's just be honest. We all invest in or tend to want to participate in or be involved with initiatives that we understand or we're passionate about. And yeah. so I, I get it. Like you're not having a baby sometimes. And that's not true for everyone, because I've met many, many men that are like, oh I get this, like my daughter, my wife, yeah. right? something like yeah. that's gone through it. Um but yeah, I would I'd say investment dollars. I, for me, that's that's what I'd be doing next.
0: <laughs> I freaking love it. And that is why Femtech Focus is um this you is know, great. Really, really uh, pulling together our resources to start our own fund because we're always preaching like if you improve women's health, you improve everyone's health. We don't just birth ladies, right? So if you improve a woman's sexual wellness, you're improving the sexual wellness of her partner, right? Like you are improving exactly. everything, right? It's just making healthier
1: so, humans that are happy people and like we
0: yeah. need that. Yes. Oh my um, gosh, Rachel. I love what you're doing.
1: This is a, this is a great podcast series and...
0: Um, I'm all with you to support you on the fun. So awesome. <laughs> yes, I'm going to come up to the city and we're going to hang out sometime. When- <laughs> oh,
1: Texas Texas has cities too. Sorry.
0: <laughs> Rachel, it's been so much fun. Thank you so much for yeah, your time. Yeah, it's
1: been great.
0: Bye. Thank you. All right, bye bye. Thank you for listening to my interview with Rachel Bond, CEO and founder of Jubal Health. My favorite part of this interview was discussing egg freezing. Now that I'm a 29-year-old woman, I am certainly wondering if egg freezing is something I should be considering. Admittedly, I have also learned way too much via this podcast about all the physical and mental challenges that mothers have to face. I'm thinking maybe I'll just adopt. (laughs) I want to hear from y'all, though have you gone through egg freezing? What do you think about it? Have you done it? Will you do it? Will you never do it? I want to know. Hit us up on social media at femtechfocus. Alrighty, fam fans, if you love our content, then please consider donating to FemTech Focus, which is a nonprofit organization. We do have a Fundly account going through the end of the year, so get those donations in. Your contributions go directly to helping us elevate the femtech industry. You can also support us by sharing this show with a friend, subscribing, and leaving a positive review. Stay up to date with Femtech news and events by subscribing to our newsletter and join our virtual community. It is fire. It is fire. We have dozens of people joining every day, hundreds of members. So join it via femtechfocus.org. And until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.